0: Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm talking with Daniel Krawitz. And I love having Daniel on the show because he takes a very broad philosophical perspective to things. He also reads very widely. Um, For example, a while back, we were chatting online and he was reading uh, the Malleus Maleficarum, I believe it's called. And uh, so he's just, he reads a lot of different books, a lot of different things, and he has a lot of interesting ideas and uh, so, Daniel, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the call and uh, share some of your thoughts about Bitcoin with
1: me. Okay, well, thanks. Well, yeah, it's a lot easier uh, if I get help. So <laughs> so thank you for inviting me. Um, so today, um, well, we did some, some, previous, uh, some previous sessions on Austrian economics, but uh, today uh, I want to talk about some things that I would have talked about first if I had known about them. But I learned learned some new things um, since we last talked. And what what I've learned about is why it's so hard to talk to people about economics. So, um, uh, so I mean, I think economics is uh, very, very beneficial. And uh, it's something that everybody can understand. It's not really... That difficult of a subject um, but uh, when when you're trying to talk about it with people uh, they they have psychological problems so I don't think that there's a problem <laughs> with being able to understand the material I think that there's there's some kind of there's some some kind of psychological problem with it so what I've learned is um why why people struggle to engage with economics, or at least I've learned a, a good theory on it. So I've got a little presentation here that I'm going to start with. Let's see. Uh, well, now it's not letting me share the screen. It doesn't, oh, okay, there's the problem. It just doesn't really even let me do um, full screen. So it's just being secure. So that's fine. Um, I'll just have to share a different screen when I get to some of the, the diagrams, but that'll be fine. So this presentation is called The Psychology of Risk. People are so unhappy about not having the impossible that they lie to themselves or live in fear regardless of how good things are. Following Nietzsche and Ernest Becker. So um problem economics drives people insane. Um so as as I said um um there's a big problem with with talking to people about economics and people don't want to learn it even though it's extremely beneficial. And I mean I I guess we should talk about why economics is so so beneficial. Um well Economics enters into everything, and um, you, you know it's good to. It gives you insight into how the world works. Um, I mean, you need you need more than just economics to understand, you know, what's going on with the with the economy. But if you don't have economics, then I don't think you can understand it at all. But. It also enters into um, all of your your interactions. I think um, because every every person you know is is interacting with the whole economy, and um, um, so I mean economics is really just about finding the optimal strategy. Um, it's, it's like the, the theoretical part of that. Um, so that's why you need more in order to actually find the optimal strategy, but you can't really, I mean, you, without, without the theory, it's hard to get, get anywhere on it. So it's just, it's just really good. I mean, to me, it feels like it's, um, uh, it's like. You know, it's like it's like. Uh, seeing, and, you know, I think we, we were. What? What
0: we were chatting at one point, and, and and I I feel like what you were trying to tell me is that it's uh people want to have their cake and eat it too. Is that is that part of the problem that you're trying to describe? That um, people don't yeah. like well, talking about trade-offs. Sort of.
1: I mean, well, what they want is something impossible. So I haven't talked about what it is yet. Um, but what what happens with people is. They get they get emotional, or um, they they project bad motives onto you, uh, or attribute very silly ideas instead of um, what you're really saying. Like they don't try to gen- genuinely understand what you're saying, and they also believe craziness like uh, Marxism or, or MMT. And MMT is modern monetary theory. So both of those things are. Are just crazy, and um, they are. Well, they. I mean, they have some economics in them, but I think that if you if you understand the Austrian school, it's pretty it's pretty easy to see what's what's wrong with um, with any of the other schools, and they are all they all kind of fit into this um, this uh, this theory that I'm going to explain, but. Well, anyway, so um, here is here's what I learned that um, that uh, you know that opened opened my mind to something. So this is a theory that follows Nietzsche and Ernest Becker. So Nietzsche had a theory about self deception, and he said that people are afraid of chaos and they invent imaginary eternal worlds to tell themselves that not all good things must come to an end and that's kind of the problem with chaos is that it means that everything is unstable so if there's if there's chaos then eventually um if eventually anything is is going to fall apart and people don't like that idea and they they want to tell themselves. They they want to eliminate chaos, so people are motivated to deceive themselves, um, so that they can believe that chaos has been put at bay. And um, Becker uh, basically took Nietzsche's theory. Um, and he kind of applied it to people in general because he was a um, a therapist. So he talked about um, he talked about his his patients, whereas Nietzsche was talking about some special cases like philosophers. Becker was kind of talking about uh, everybody. So that's um, that's how he improved on Nietzsche. But I think he also um, uh, he he also um, Lost some, some important things from from Nietzsche, so I think I think overall Nietzsche's theory is is better, but Becker did did some stuff better. So what what Becker said is people are afraid of death, and they believe in illusions in order to attribute cosmic significance to their actions. So um, so what I think is is good about Becker is that he tried to make a, a theory that's more general for that's for more more people, um, but. I think um it's not necessary to make everything about death and I think Nietzsche's formulation to say that it's about about chaos is better. And so I think Becker was influenced by Freud and um Freud likes to say everything complex in people is really about some kind of like uh fundamental drive in childhood so so Becker's like all fears are about death really. Um I think if you look at Becker's descriptions of death, he's not talking about old age. He's talking about chaos. He's talking about like random events that could kill you tomorrow. And he says that's what people are most afraid of. And that kind of makes sense because if if you could know that you were going to die of old age, then... um. Uh, then you could plan ahead, you could plan for it, you know, and then then death wouldn't really interfere very much with you having a meaningful life because you could make sure to complete everything before then. Um, but the problem with death that happens randomly is that it, it interrupts whatever you're doing and it, uh, it prevents your actions from being meaningful because you didn't finish them. Right, right. So, um, <laughs> uh, so what, um, so, um, I think that this, this makes a lot of sense and it explains a lot about why, um, why people don't like economics. Cause usually in, in economics, we have to talk about randomness and what we're, we're we're talking about like big groups of people, um, who who just do do all kinds of different things, and um, if you're well, let's um let's let's continue with this because I think the one-dimensional random walk kind of um it's kind of a, is a good example to clarify what I've what I've just been talking about. So a random walk is. A mathematical idea that involves probability and the way it works is uh, you start at zero and then you go up or down one with probability P so there's different different kinds of random walks depending on what the probability is so but there is a proof which says that regardless of probability P the random walk will cross zero an infinite number of times um and so if you're you can think of you can think of the random walk as being a model for life uh and the the randomness is like chaos and so what this theorem is saying is that um so let's say let's say that going below zero is when you die um, what, what this says is, is, as long as there's any randomness whatsoever, eventually you die, because eventually the random walk goes below zero. And that's even if, um, the probability, you could say the probability is a thousand to one that you will go up instead of down, but, uh you still eventually will go down and cross zero. And it's kind of easy to see why that is, if you think about it. And the reason is that there's just always some probability that you will get enough bad rows, uh, bad rolls in a row to get down to zero. Um, no matter how, how far away you are. Um, and there's always some probability of that. So you know, eventually it happens, and that's not really a proof because you could say, like maybe the um, uh, maybe the the probability of failure goes down, you know, f- approaches zero uh, faster than you you go go up for for some probability. But it doesn't really. It turns out it doesn't work that way. So, I think that um, what. Uh, what what this means is that um, people are people are afraid of small risks, or I should say like this this clarifies the idea so one thing that's kind of weird about these these theories about people's fear of chaos is we could be talking about very unlikely things like um Becker talks about um you know, getting struck by lightning or, or something like that—like things that that probably aren't aren't going to happen. At least not any time. Uh, they're they probably not going to happen tomorrow. But um, what what seems to make people afraid, according to him, is um, is the fact that it it could happen. So I think I think this kind of makes sense. Because, um, what what the um, if you if you take tiny risks for a long enough time, eventually they kill you. So, um, a fear of a, a tiny, tiny risk is really a fear about inevitability. And so that's kind of what, um, what what both Nietzsche and Becker are, are, are saying. They say that, Nietzsche says that suffering and misfortune is inevitable. Um, and Becker says that, that death is inevitable. And these are the things that, that make people afraid. But the way that they, the way that Becker talks about death is he talks about it as if it's like chaos. And so, because small risks taken over time make um make suffering and misfortune inevitable people are afraid of them and they want to eliminate tiny risks and make them zero so people are um people are people are afraid of the idea that they cannot eliminate tiny risks to make them zero, and I think that's the the purport of um, of the theory. And so, uh, another another thing that seems to affect people. So, well, let's let's go back to economics. So, in in economics, um, we usually say that. The free market is better and we like, we like capitalism. And, um, the reason it works is because of randomness, um, because everybody, everybody benefits from the, um, the, the creativity of, of everybody else. And, um, people can try all kinds of you know, crazy things that that probably won't work. But what happens is, the ideas that um, that that don't don't fit in with everybody else die out. So then, what we're left with is whatever's whatever's better, and that process uh, works a lot better than uh, designing everything centrally. So. Um, according to this, this theory of psychology, um, people, uh, people have, have trouble engaging with the idea that randomness is good. And so when, when you talk about so, – because if things are random, that means something bad could happen, right? And if, if you wait long enough, eventually something something really bad will happen or eventually something bad will definitely happen. That's kind of why people don't right. like it. And so when, when we're saying that randomness is good, um, then um, uh, people struggle with that idea emotionally. That's, that's the theory. Um, and I would mm-hmm. say that this, this seems to explain my experience talking to people about economics. And um, so, um, so I really think it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, so Nietzsche said that people go through phases, and they start out um, in dogmatism, which means that they um, they they think they have some definite answers from somewhere. And this is usually like a received received wisdom from from people in power, but uh, dogmatism really just means that you you think you have absolute certainty. So then, when they realize that they can't have absolute certainty, then they go into nihilism. And nihilism is um, saying that uh, that nothing is good, or that there is there is no meaning. So um once once people engage with the idea that they can't have absolute certainty they don't they don't know how to um replace that with with something that is not not certain they don't know how to replace that with with uncertain things so they become nihilists because they think they don't have anything um and that's not um, well. That's not the original meaning of nihilism, but that's how Nietzsche used it. So, so then Nietzsche says you overcome nihilism when, um, when, and and you can start to find meaning in life again when, um, when you you learn to um, you learn to embrace suffering. So that doesn't mean that you suffer forever, but it just means that there's there's going to be uh, good times as well as bad. And if you can can accept that, then you can start thinking about like, um, what you know, what's my best option? You know what I mean. So Becker said that right, uh, right. real heroes. Well, so Becker said that people try to tell themselves that they're heroes. That has to do with um giving their actions uh, cosmic significance. But he said the real heroes accept the truth that human life is insignificant to the universe with with resignation. So I think that, um, well, I mean, I think that Becker didn't really have a very clear idea of of overcoming nihilism. To me, it seems like he had dogmatism and and nihilism and his real hero was someone who was resigned. So hmm. live, live with your disappointment. Like, and uh, sorry, like, a, you a like a
0: Schopenhauer type, like a Schopenhauer uh, yeah, type. Exactly.
1: Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. I've Schopenhauer later. Yeah. So I think, think Becker was more like, more like a Schopenhauer guy. Yeah. So, um, some people never get out of nihilism. I mean, to me, like there's, it sounds like Becker's patience did get better. So it's not like they all just uh, confronted death and then became really depressed for the rest of their lives. But um, to to me, a Becker's Becker's hero is kind of like like someone who who denies the will, like like Schopenhauer, and he doesn't. To me, he doesn't seem like he has a very good idea about someone who really really embraces life. So someone, someone who's really driven to be successful at something, according to, to Becker, or I think Becker would say that he's, he's in some kind of illusion. And um, I don't think that he has um, an idea of someone who, um, who, who understands the truth, but who's on, on some kind of quest anyway. So I uh, I think um a problem with both Nietzsche and Becker is that they are not uh darwinian. They're not darwinists. Although uh, Nietzsche could be seen as sort of like a proto darwinist or someone who kind of kind of thought like Darwin but didn't didn't quite get the idea right. But um I think that if um I think that if we're Darwinists, we can say that we, we are on a quest and it's not because of some, uh, some metaphysical world. It's not because of some, some alternate reality, right? It's because that's a a natural process. And it's like, it's, it's based on, um, what, what are, what is given to us in our, our instincts. And, um, Um, But, well, anyway, um, so here is summary of the the theory. Um, What do people want? They want small risks to be zero, and they want to avoid facing the inevitability of suffering. And they want to say that anybody who likes randomness is malicious or ignore them. Yeah, I was going to add that. Um, and that's that basically yeah. explains my experience when I talk to people about about economics. So certainly, this part I've I've seen a lot. Now, well, not just me, but like other people who I think are are good economists, they either get ignored or people say that they're they're evil. And um, if um, if if we if we uh, hypothesize that people get emotional around the idea of risk, no matter how small it is, you know, in other words, they don't, they don't have much nuance about how they think about risk, and um, they, don't, they don't want to accept the idea that um, you can't entirely avoid risk. Even though, and they can't argue with it. They can't. You can't find an argument against that idea. So, what what they want to do is um, deceive themselves. And the only way they're going to do that, if they're confronted with somebody who's disagreeing with them, is they have to say that 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 person is malicious, or say they're not there, or or something. So um, Nietzsche had another idea. That um, I think we can make some more more sense of with this this theory. So if you look up uh, Dionysian and Apollonian online, what what they say is that um, the Dionysian is like uh, the uh, the the irrational, and the Apollonian is the uh, rational. But I think it makes more sense. To say that the op- the, the Dionysians are um, they're they're instinctive and um, maybe they don't they don't use rational thought. But I don't know if I would agree that that means they're they're irrational. Because I mean, as long as an animal is in its natural environment, then it's usually going to make pretty good decisions. I think um but not because it thought about all of the consequences it's because all of the um uh in the past the um the related animals that made bad decisions got caught or didn't get enough food and died out so his um right. his ancestors um were the ones who had the right um had the right uh, the right instinct, and they were passed on to him because his ancestors survived and the alternatives didn't. So is a is an instinctive creature really irrational? Um, I mean, I would say that. I mean, if you put the animal outside of its natural environment, then it's going to make it's going to make bad decisions. But I I don't think that saying it's irrational really makes much sense Um, uh, because it does, it does make good decisions too. And a, a good decision is rational, even if you didn't, even if you didn't think it through all the way, like if you had some, some other, some way of making the decision that isn't, you know, that isn't, uh, a rational way of thinking. If it if it still works, it's still. I, I I don't know. I just don't. I don't think that's a really good way of describing it. So Apollonians, they um, they're people who claim to be rational. So like they say, Apollonians are rational, but really they're irrational, and they claim to like rationality, but really they're they're driven by fears that they don't want to acknowledge. So they they're not they're not rational. They just say they. They just say they're rational, and they say that people who are uh, people who like risk or people who embrace risk are irrational. When really those people could be making really good decisions, uh, but they're they're driven by a uh, they're driven by an irrational fear, um, and so they're people who say that all, all risk is bad. And um, Nietzsche said that the uh, the Superman was able to balance uh, the Dionysian and Apollonian. And so that, you know, the, you might some interpretation would say that the, the Superman is able to be both rational and irrational. But I would say that makes more sense to say that his rationality is in tune with the instinct, and he understands that some risks are good and some risks are bad and um, it's not like he's a combination of, of two contradictory things. I would say that his um, it's I, I would say that the the Nietzschean has has real rationality cuz he's like someone he's uh, to me he would be like someone like me who would say like why would we want some kind of intelligent solution when we could have a really stupid one that works a lot better you know what i mean like to me that's <laughs> that's rational yeah. and um you're you're irrational if you don't like that i mean assuming i'm right assuming the stupid solution is better but right, so right. I have when some, you're talking some, to... oh sorry what were you saying
0: it it makes me think about uh, uh, the the solutions that we've seen lately, past couple of years with the COVID measures. I, I mean, there's people at the top like Tony Fauci who can't stand stand any chaos and think that they can have a totally rational uh, and no risk approach. But there really yeah, needs to be well, some sort of in between method <laughs> that embraces a sort of a, a, a market based or a knowledge on the ground approach.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, okay. You should um, you should read this one next. So yep. Fauci is a
0: Fauci is a con artist.
1: Yep. Oh, great. Okay. Well, yeah. So he he claims he claim, he pretends to be a rational person, but really he's playing a, a part. And so what? Well, maybe he's rational, but his goals are not uh not the not what he uh not what he projects on, on people. So, um, but, yeah, and but, just for yeah, people who might
0: only be listening, to, listening to the audio, Daniel just held up a book, uh, called, uh, what's the title of it again, Daniel?
1: The that r- book the that Rio you held Fauci, up. Bill Gates, big pharma and the global war on democracy and public health by Robert F. Kennedy yeah. Jr. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, I'm so only it's, about it's a pretty interesting
0: through. book, but go ahead.
1: I'm only about halfway through, but, um, it's good so far. So, but yeah, Fauci is appealing to the Apollonians in the audience and uh, he's, he's appealing to people who want to uh, listen to the experts instead of people, instead of wanting to evaluate information themselves. So like I would say that things are much better when people figure out they come to their own conclusions about what good decisions are, and people do do different things, whatever they think is is better, and that that minimizes risk because um, uh, there's a really there's it's really bad if we have a centralized solution that where there's a, a mistake because then everybody gets hurt. If if people just do different things then uh at least at least one group of people or well it's more likely that, it, that at least some people are not gonna get hurt badly so um, um so maybe if you're a um an Apollonian, you would say that that's that's irrational, but that's really that's rational, and it depends on recognizing that nobody has absolute truth so there's no way. There's no way that you can get everybody to do the same thing and um, and and know that they're doing what's correct. You know. Um, oh, and let me talk right. about. Well, let me bring up this um this these diagrams that I have now. Wait a minute. Let me see. Okay. Um, here we go. So here's a here's a diagram that I made to explain explain Nietzsche's theory. So according to Nietzsche, what happens is um, uh, we start off where we're like we're like animals and we're just following instincts, and then then we embrace risk um, because. Um, uh our, in, our instincts tell us to do to do risky things and that's not always good because in the past um um you know if 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 mother nature was like a person she would be like well we'll just we'll just uh make everybody try to kill themselves and then whoever whoever gets through it they make the next generation so it's fine so your instincts aren't necessarily <laughs> um telling you what what what's most likely to, to keep you alive they they're telling you they're telling you drives that um, um, that that you're supposed to do um but they're not necessarily telling you about all the potential dangers right so then we have consciousness and that brings about uh, awareness of of risk so the realization that um that uh, you are not, not immortal. So now then the, the Apollonians are the ones who believe that all risk is bad. um, Because if there's risk, then you could die tomorrow. And that's, that's like, I know that that sounds like a silly thing to say. And that's not, that's not what people will say. They think if you're, if you're talking to them, like if you're, if you ask them to actually explain, um, explain their idea, they won't say something like that, but it seems like people act that way where they say they think, they think all risk is bad. Um, regardless of how, how bad it is. And there's, there's no, there's no nuance. And, you know, not everybody is like that because there are different choices people make, but it, to me, there's a. It seems like there's a there's a lot of people out there who who are thinking this way, and so then, if you believe that you have a way of eliminating risk completely, then you're a dogmatist. Dogmatist, and then once you realize that you can't really do that, then you become uh, a nihilist, and then you say nothing is nothing is good. Because all, all, all risk is bad, and everything has risk, so then nothing is good. And um, so there, there, see, I have Schopenhauer there, and um, Buddhism, and Becker. And I think they kind of are, are like this. and um, mm-hmm. they're, um, So then, but Nietzsche says if you, you take another step back, and you start saying that some, some risks are good... Then, then there can be good things, and um, you just have to understand that uh, risk—the fact—the fact that you could fail or you could something could kill you—is just not not the only the only. It's not the only quality of uh, your decisions that that matters, um, and sometimes increasing your odds of getting killed is the optimal strategy, because at the same time, the potent, you know, there's a big potential benefit. And, um, so I think, I think the best things in life only come through the, uh, the Nietzschean category. So I think, um, I mean, I, I don't think people are all in one category, but it's It's more like you know some people have really really engaged with this this kind of thinking and have allowed it to really affect how they make decisions and other people are more more intuitive about it but I think that I think that if if you think about this like good the, the best things in life only come if you if you make the decisions in the Nietzschean way and you're willing to to take on extra risk sometimes when, when the prospects are good. And in order to do that, you, you need to look at risks, um, uh, um, in a, a nuanced way. And so I put, uh, Warren Buffett down there. He's one of my favorite guys. And, you know, he, uh, what he and, and people like him do is they they read they read up on tons of different companies and um, they go through they go through a lot before they find one that they want to buy um, and they try to figure them out really carefully because they are worried about risk, but they know that there's there's also reward and um so well, Nietzsche was also influenced by uh, Heraclitus. Of course, I put him on there. So um, I, I was—I've been really interested in this um, this diagram because I think it, it's a really good way to think about people, and I—I I, I really think that there there are really big problems with with the way that that some people make their decisions. I mean many many people that I've interacted with, I would say. And I I think that if I can if I imagine that this kind of thing is what's going on in their minds, then it it just makes a lot more more sense. So um like one of the thing one one thing that was really surprising to me was when I would try to talk to people about why why Bitcoin is a good idea. So what I found out is that almost nobody will say that will will understand at the same time that, that Bitcoin has good prospects and at the same time there's significant risks. Um, and that kind of makes sense of this. Like it seems like some people are they're so convinced that Bitcoin will be successful that they, it doesn't even matter if they completely ruin it. So that's like everybody in in BTC. They're like the the dogmatists. And then people who no. then then other people um won't won't really even try to understand it because they think it's it's risky. And that's all that matters to them. They and they're like people who don't don't want to get into crypto. Um yeah, it's been been very hard to well, so I mean, think about this. Like if um like people play the lottery all the time, right? Lots of people buy lottery tickets. And you know, you know based on how those things work that on average you're going to lose. And so to me, Bitcoin is like like a lottery Except that that on average you would win. So, like maybe you would say Bitcoin has a one percent chance of being successful. But um, if if it if it is successful, then you would more than hundred x the money you put into it. So, I mean, really, people should should like that. Like the people should like a lottery that's that's positive. Even if you lose most of the time at it, that just means don't put all of your money into it. You should put not. I mean, if, if that's what you thought, if you thought that it's, it's one one percent chance of being successful, then you wouldn't want to put more than one percent of your money into it. And what you want to do is um, uh, find find lots of different things that have a a small chance of being really successful, and then it would it would average out to being something. Um, something that will, will probably, probably increase what you have, but of course not necessarily because there's always a chance that everything you get will fail. Um, you just reduce that chance if you get, uh, different things. Um, so, um, you see what I mean? Like, uh, it's very hard to, um, it's it's just been hard for me to talk to people about about this kind of thing. And according to Nietzsche, uh, most of the people are are stuck in uh, the dogmatist category, and then a small fraction of them escape into the nihilist category. But then the Nietzschean category is the rarest of all. And um, well, I think it's it's really kind of kind of sad because um, well, as I said, I think I think good things in life comes from, from, from thinking in, in this nuanced way about risk. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, people who can't do it, are well, they, they, miss, they miss out on benefit. So if you're the, the nihilist, you're, you're avoiding benefit because you're afraid of risk. And then if you're the dogmatist, what you do is you do risky things and then pretend that they're not risky. So, in both cases you do you're you're losing out so um right well let's let's go back to this statement i I had up uh in my presentation earlier this is the optimal strategy involves risk so what's what's going through the mind of somebody if they're who you're talking to if they're trapped in this diagram um, so um if they're if they're a, a dogmatist, then um, what they're thinking is like, for, first of all, they're um, you're you're messing with them because you're saying that the the optimal strategy isn't isn't perfect. So they're they're screwed up because the best possible thing is not not as good as eternal bliss in heaven, right? So that's like the first thing they're thinking, and then the next thing they would be thinking is like. Every suboptimal strategy involves more risk, and they don't. If they don't like any risk, then um, it's like you're telling them that not um, that they they need to be like the perfect the perfect profit maximizer, or else um, or else they have they have. Or else they have more more risk than they need, and all risk is bad. So, so uh, you're you're putting a lot of um, you're giving them a lot of stress by saying something like that. Whereas, to me, like mm-hmm. um, nobody really knows exactly what what is optimal. If we have some theoretical econi- economic idea of what is optimal, we can uh, we can try to try to guess at where that is in the real world but we never know we never know exactly how the real world corresponds to the economic theory because we never have enough enough information and so to me this is like it's like um you just just try your best at 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 the game you know it's not like you don't have to do perfect at but um yeah. It, it's like um it's like one of those old arcade games where it's uh you're supposed to get um there they they rank people's scores in the game and that's kind of um um that's, you can get on the scoreboard if you do really well. And so if you're if you're an Apollonian it's like saying like if you don't if you're not at the top of the scoreboard that's that's not good enough because in their minds, everything that's not mm. perfect is, is too scary. <laughs> but I'm just saying, let's just, right. let's just play the game and try to do, do the best we can. And, um,
0: yeah, I like that.
1: The, then the nihilist is like somebody who's saying, we'll just run out of quarters eventually. <laughs> so why, why bother? <laughs> but it, It's like, it's the only game there is. So why not? <laughs> that's, that's my attitude. So, um,
0: yeah, I like that. Have you, have have you found other ways that this has been useful for you? Oh, you've got another
1: diagram. Okay. Yeah. So I was just thinking about, um, the, the manosphere, because I think we see this pattern of nihilism, dogmatism and nihilism and, uh, Nietzschean in there. So, and this is something that's more modern that I think, um, People might be uh, more familiar with might might matter more to, to people today. But so in the dogmatist category, I put uh, feminist MRA, which stands for Men's Rights Advocate, and and blue pill. And um, so, uh, so here and for Apollonian, I put I put instinct is evil because uh, that's that's what they think because instinct might. Tell you to do something irrational, you know um mm-hmm. and so um so a while back we we started with feminism, and that's um, that's sort of like um a a version of of communism or a variant of of communism that says that um um well i mean i w- i would say all egalitarianism is uh, a way to um, put people off their guard as a way to secretly try to invade and, and control everything and then you say like oh everything is everybody is equal when like somebody is really you know pulling, pulling the strings from behind so that's what the communists right. want to do with, with government and that's kind of what, what the feminists want to do with society and, and culture and, um, right. and so there's, they, there's this illusion and, uh, we don't know, we don't know who, who really believes the illusion and who is, who understands that it's good, good for manipulation and who's just saying it, you know, and doesn't really believe it. But, but the reason the illusion works is because of, uh, it, it tells people that they can believe something comforting. And it tells them that something that would be, um, uh, would be, would be un, unhappy as something they, they don't have to believe. And so, um, uh, and for, for, for men, it's the idea that, um, and women are, are risky and they can can screw you up in in ways that you can't do to them um, and that's kind of like um well that's part of part of what the the red pill is i guess but um um well i mean uh,
0: um didn't Nietzsche say that a uh, woman is the most dangerous play thing of all or was that schopenhauer
1: um, I don't know. Um, I'll, have to, I'll
0: yeah. have to look that one up.
1: <laughs> so, um, <laughs> in, uh, the dogmatist category, I also put the men's rights advocates because they're like the inverse of, of feminism. So they're, to, they've, they have understood some things that, um, that are, they've, they've seen through the, some, some kind of illusion, I think, but they have, uh. They've created a new illusion, um, because and they're kind of like the the inverse of, of feminists, I think, and they are using the same kinds of strategies as the feminists to get what they want, but it's not it's not going to work because women are always going to be better at whining than than men are, or more more successful <laughs> at it. so. Um, then um, the, the blue pill, that also means um, believing believing the illusion. And that's from the the Matrix, of course. But actually, I, I kind of think that's um, a very strange... I, I think it's really weird that they use that metaphor. Because to me, the red pill is more likely to be the illusion in the Matrix movie. Um, because um, the Matrix is like like Scientology. The Matrix is like, like a cult. And well, first of all, usually there isn't somebody who's gonna give you the absolute truth. There isn't like a, a person who's the source of truth as there is in, in the movie. So I think you would naturally distrust the idea that someone is is offering you the truth and offering you offering you a way out of illusion. Because that's what they do in cults all the time. That's what all cults say is that you're living in an illusion and we're leading you out. So really, really, they're right. taking you in the opposite direction. Um, so that's Scientology. That's that's all of them. So I, I think the red pill, blue pill thing is pretty funny because to me, um, the blue pill is really more. I mean, it's more like more likely to be accepting reality. And someone who's telling you that you can have superpowers and you're living on a prison planet and uh, stuff like that—they're more likely to be the cult leader who's um, leading you into illusion. Although today we do live on a prison planet, so <laughs> it's not always like that. <laughs> <laughs> so then in nihilists, yeah. I put the the MiGtau group because they're the ones who are like all all relationships with with women are bad because you can't eliminate risk. And um, so they don't think they just don't think it's, it's worthwhile to, to try to find a girlfriend at all. And um, so then um, uh, I put the red pill under Nietzschean and uh, I just don't really know what, what category to put there because you know MGTOW would say that they're red pill and MRA would say that they're, they're red pill and really red red pill just means facing facing the truth um, so really um, you could say that uh, nihilism and Nietzschean are both responses to facing the truth and nihilism is just the one where you just think that the truth is so bad that you don't you don't want to do anything anymore. Um, but when I say red pill, I'm 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 talking about the guys who who started using the the term red pill. So that would be like like Rolo Tomasi and and uh, and those kind of guys. But they're the ones who are who are just trying to say like this is what the reality is like, and this is how you you optimize your your success in it. And, um, so, you know, nobody, um, getting, getting a girlfriend has never been, been risk-free at any time in history, in any, any culture ever. So, um, uh, to me, we're, that's, we're not, we're not going to solve that problem. Um, so to me, like the, the Nietzschean approach is, is the appropriate one, well, I mean, do you yeah. want to be the next stage of human evolution or not? You know what I mean. That's um, there's yeah. always there always has to be some kind of kind of uh, obstacle to overcome. Because um, if if there isn't, why why well, would you be the next stage of human evolution? You know what I mean. That's what it's all about.
0: Right. Yeah, I think since we're we're in the manosphere uh, slide category, I, I've got to read the and we're talking about Nietzsche. I've got to read a quote. Uh, Nietzsche said, "The true man wants two things: danger and play. For that reason, he wants woman as the most dangerous plaything of all." Yeah, well, that's so I, don't, I don't know if that's that pretty... if that fits in. <laughs> did
1: he, did but he, did he say seems to be saying man? that woman
0: is a pretty. Di- uh, <laughs> let me go back to that. Um the True Man, yeah.
1: Uh, what book is that in? Do you know the source?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll follow it up. Uh, let me let me follow that uh, little rabbit hole. Let's see. No, it doesn't have the source, but I'm going to have to. I'll, I'll find it, and we'll put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's but I kind do, of... I remember reading that at one point. Yeah, well, that's interesting, and that's kind of ambiguous, so it'd be nice to know a little more about... The context but i mean um yeah so i think i think men do like like danger because um instinctively they know that there has to be some obstacle to overcome in order to get a girlfriend but um the problem with that is that can be manipulated because it's it's instinct so you need reason to figure out which which problems are worth worth overcoming and so right now um Like the, um, the, um, uh, the, the blue pill men are like, like people who, um, they're like, um, well, it's like, like if you're, if you're, if you're in nature and you're an animal and you just like risk, that's not necessarily going to, going to kill you because you've, your instincts tell you like what the correct amount is. But then if you get, if you get society and technology, people can invent casinos and just present you with whatever you know they they can present you with something that um that draws in in your instincts but is just designed to take all of your money away so that's kind of like um that's kind of like like being being the the blue pill man because you're denying, denying instincts. And at at the same time, you can be controlled by them because you're not, you're not thinking about them. And, um, Mm -hmm. I guess that would be like, if you were the feminist, the feminist man, because they're the feminists are the ones who don't think instincts are real or they say they're not. Um, I don't know what the, a blue pill man who's not a feminist would, would say about instincts, but I, I don't know. I still think he basically fits in that that category. So I think um mm-hmm. we can also do uh Kant. So I've got a Kantian version of this. So the Dionysian that's like somebody who just believes things whatever without thinking about why why they believe it. So they may accept um uh they accept the faith of their fathers or they have religious experiences or something inspiration so then, then we have epistemology, where we realize that our beliefs are not necessarily true. So then now the Apollonian category are ones who think that knowledge equals certainty. And so Kant said that um, uh, before before him, epistemology was in a vicious cycle between dogmatism and skepticism. So now skeptics mean knowledge is impossible because there is no absolute certainty. And then the dogmatists are the rationalists and the empiricists, because they're both claiming to have some uh, some solid foundation for knowledge. And they just disagree on uh, where it comes from. So then the, the Kantian answer is, is transcendental idealism. Excuse me, but I don't want to go into too much detail about what that means but because it's pretty complicated but it is it is a way for us to have knowledge without absolute certainty that's one thing it's good for and it points to modern science I think um, so I think it's I think that's the right direction so uh, I guess I should mention that of course. You could also have a Hegelian version of this because Hegel always talked about uh, synthesis – or no, thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. But I think Hegel is a con artist, and his theory is just <laughs> so broad that it just works for anything. So it's actually meaningless, and uh, it's really just a trick to make you, you think that uh, he knows something. And he, he'll just keep saying – thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Um, as long as you still believe he's a genius, but it's it's mean, <laughs> and that's what what I'm talking about here is a little more specific than that, and a little more useful because it has to do with um, uh, a a self deception and how people how people face that self deception or or choose not to. And, and also like, why, why do people want to deceive themselves? So that's, I don't think that's, that's in Hegel. Okay. So those are my, well, my Daniel, diagrams.
0: Are, are there... Oh, I, Sorry, I, I love I, it. Um, You know, I, I love it. Are there ways that you think about this in your daily life? I, I know this is, uh, you know, this is very philosophical. I, I, I this is, why I like to talk to you, but what about in your daily life? Are there ways that you try to embrace the, the, uh, the middle ground? I don't know if it's the middle ground, but the trend, the Nietzschean.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, I mean, I think, um, um, uh, Oh, here we go. I'll go back to the Nietzsche, Nietzsche diagram. Yeah. So I have, I have Warren Buffett in there and I think, um, I think I think good investors are the best practical philosophers. So, um, and I think that um, investment strategy is something that's that's really about all life. You're, it's not just about what what you buy and sell. It's not just about about your portfolio, but the the ideas in it. Can be applied more more broadly to to everything you do, oh, and they're they're good even if you don't have enough money to invest in anything. Even if, if you're like um, you know someone someone without extra money, I think you can still apply them to your life because you have time and you have to think about how to uh, how to use that time, and um you have to you you have to assess risk in order to figure out what, what's likely to grow. And, um, and if you, you know, Warren, Warren Buffett said that his best investments were his house and his wedding ring. So those are not things that, <laughs> you know, that he sold for, for billions of dollars. Those are not things that, that made him billionaire billion or they made him a billionaire, but they're, they're things that, mm-hmm. um, that gave him, uh, a good life. And so that shows you that that's what what he's really thinking about. And um, yeah. so um, uh, so I don't know. I don't have anything more more specific than that. But I, I would say that. Um, um, I mean, I think I think I think finding the truth is is really. Important. I mean, it's really one of the most, you know, you, you save, you save the, the greatest costs, the greatest cost. the earlier you figure out your mistakes. And, um, yeah. so if you can, if you can figure out how to, uh, how to discern truth efficiently, then all of the ways that you a portion your your time and, and resources are going to be a lot more effective. So I think philosophy and epistemology are really important. They're not they're not just you know they're not they're not just entertaining ideas. They're they're things that are um they're, they're things that matter a lot. And you know, usually these these famous philosophers talk about um epistemology in terms of, uh, science, but, um, there's all sorts of important hidden truths around, you know, that are not, that are not about abstract science, just like what's, what's really going on in the world right now. That's a pretty difficult question. And it's really important to, to your life, because if, you know, if something happens that you weren't expecting, then you can get really screwed up. And, um, well, and I talked about, about cults earlier, but just more generally thinking about scams, um, big, big and small, right? There's scams everywhere. And if you don't, if you're not good at discerning truth, then you can get scammed more easily. So... I think all of this stuff is is really, is really important. You know, it's not just it, – it isn't just, just playing a game. Oh, speaking of games, there was something I was going to mention earlier because um, I think mm-hmm. um, one of the things that makes me uh, think that this, this theory is good is that um, people I know – Often are are the kinds of people who like to play games because that's something I like, and they don't have trouble assessing risk when we're talking about uh, something with no stakes, like if we're playing Settlers of Catan or something, because they um, they can analyze they can analyze the game and it doesn't drive them crazy, but the moment the moment we bring real life into it and we start thinking of life as a game, then that's when um, that's when problems seem to uh, to arise with with people who seem like they they can be rational um, when we're not talking about about real life, and so. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that um, I mean I think I think you can. Uh, I mean you really you need to strategize about everything you do and about about your life as a whole or else you know or else things or, or, or else your, your random walk isn't as good right i mean you can't plan everything out yeah um you know you can't plan everything out but i, th- I think you can you can think about decisions in general and then think about what you know about about any particular decision that, uh, that you, you come across. Um, so, uh, well, um, well, oh yeah,
0: Daniel, you know, I, 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 I love what, what you shared with us so far. I mean, you've given a lot of food for thought and I've got to go though. I've got to put my, my kids to bed, but Maybe we, I mean, we can explore more topics in a future episode at some point.
1: Oh, okay. But well, let me add a closing thought then because oh, you asked for some questions and we didn't even get to answer any of them. Mm-hmm. But there was one that was um, really important, yeah. so I think I'm going to try to answer it really quickly. But somebody asked uh, what what, uh, what's, what is – well, now I don't even remember the question. But he, he asked about the I, value of me, money and about, about Bitcoin so um yep. I've always said that the value of money is the other people, and the reason mm-hmm. the reason that's true is that um, the reason the the reason you would want to hold cash is that new opportunities can arise that you didn't know about. so when you buy stocks, you're too committed, and if some new opportunity comes along, it's not necessarily a, a good idea to sell that stock in order to take advantage of the new opportunity. So, uh, holding cash is sort of something that puts you in line, puts you first in line for, for new opportunities. And um, some some business can, can suddenly go on sale, there can be a sell-off, and it's only if you have cash then that you can get into it. So, Um, money is about new opportunities and, uh, who creates those new opportunities is the entrepreneurs, the other people who use that money. So if you want to make money more valuable, what you need to do is make the other people into better entrepreneurs. So, um, uh, I'm glad somebody asked that because I've been trying to tell people what the value of money is ever since I got into Bitcoin, and it's just like uh, nobody ever wants to talk about it. And it feels like I just kind of say this kind of thing over and over again. And um, I don't, I don't really uh, see that that people are. Uh, well, I think, I think everybody wants bitcoin to go up but why don't why don't we figure out what what we can do to make that happen so to me that's what i just said is really the best way of doing it so like what i'm doing now is the the optimal way of making bitcoin go up uh and bitcoin bitcoin bsv for anybody who's not not familiar with what's what's going on right now that's that's the the real bitcoin that's that's the only one that's that's any good so what I'm doing now is I'm am I'm improving the other people. I mean, hopefully. I mean, I think this will be uh, useful information. And um, uh, but um, well, you know, so far I just haven't really seen people really get the idea that doing doing this kind of thing is is for improving the investment in Bitcoin. You, you see what I mean? Like it's, it's like I do, I do this and I talk about it and it it seems like people haven't, haven't really connected that idea yet, even though that's like the only thing I've been talking about this whole time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all about number go up, but it's, but it, from your perspective, it's more about cooperation and the other people. Yes. It, it, right. I, would you say that that I got that yeah. right?
1: So anyway, w- yeah. Well, it's about value. I mean, num- price is a conjecture about about value. But if we know what value is, then we can we can improve. Uh, we can make Bitcoin a better buy. We can't. It's a silly idea to try to just make it go up because that's that's like um uh, that's that's manipulating sentiment, and that's uh, that's that's too risky. We that's a risk we can avoid easily, you know? Um, yeah, but we can, we can improve value and then you just wait until other people figure out that value has improved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daniel, thanks again for uh, taking out the time out of your day. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, you're going to finish it. I'm just going
1: to say the same thing. Thank you for inviting me. And, um, uh, great to talk to you again, and yeah, I hope we can continue with with economics, and we'll continue where we left off with our our last discussion.
0: Awesome, thanks, Daniel. It's great talking with you tonight.
1: Okay, you too. Bye.